Hello, welcome to the latest episode of Bound the Context. I'm your host, Ryan Schreiber. With me today is a good friend, Jason Hall. Welcome to the program, Jason. Hey, Ryan. Thanks for having me. Jason, you're a lean uh, product coach. Why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself? Absolutely, sure. Um, so lean product coach, you know, lean product, you know, uh, a product focused agile coach, you know, I've, I've kind of gone by many different titles. Uh, I started my journey about 10 or so years ago as a product owner with some product management responsibilities uh, in the department of defense space, really fell in love with uh, not just what I was helping build, but the way that we were working. And that's where my journey drifted more towards the agile side and the way of working. Um so I, I had a, a, a initial introduction into the agile coaching space, and I kind of fell head over heels with that. Really passionate about helping uh, teams sort of form and go after the right things to solve, uh, work in a, in a very smart, congealed way, um, and just you know solve awesome problems. And you know, all along the way, I think over time, gradually, I started trending and focusing more back towards the product side because uh, that's where I noticed the the agile community was sort of lacking focus a little bit. And just in general with my clients, there was um, uh, a lack of kind of concentration and focus on that area. So now I really sort of anchor towards uh, the product side, but I bring that that kind of whole agile program team, kind of executive level coaching uh, to boot. Awesome. And, and Jason, so when you get engaged by your, your clients to help them sort of solve problems, What's what's sort of the approach? Like, what's your method? You, you talked about lean. You talked about agile. You know, we, we you and I have had conversations about things like design thinking and even combine and others. Like, what's your sort of approach? How do you go in and help them think about how they solve problems? Yeah, usually, you know, one thing I do, I I tend to no matter who hires me or brings me in, I always look to gain perspective, and so I start by. I, Typically, I'll, I'll ask folks, you know, what does success look like? Because I, I find no matter what you are doing, it really kind of all anchors back to how does that organization define sex and success and how are they going to get there, right? So everything kind of goes back to that, whether you have, you know, if there's sort of team dynamic problems, if there's problems in the, the flow of, uh, uh, of deployments and, and delivery, uh, or if there's problems about generally making their customers awesome, Right. It's going to kind of all anchor back to that. that. Um, so, you know, I, I, I try to I gain perspective, you know, so not just from the folks that are, that are hiring me, but also all the people within their organization. And when I say all, I mean a sort of a sampling of those folks, right, from the different external stakeholders to customers that they work with, et cetera. And that really helps me reframe the problem that they even brought to me in the first place. Um and then we sort of go from there, right? Sometimes it's exactly what what it is that they they've brought there, and other times it's it's something different. They may say, "Hey, you know, we're, we're you know, I need you to help us work, uh, help these teams, uh, you know, do better agile, you know, quote unquote, um, uh, or you know, they just don't have their stuff together, or yada yada yada." And then you know, when we come back, it's normally something entirely different. Um, yeah, so that that that's that's my kind of initial. My, my initial typical thread. And, and again, being a product focused coach, I, I really always am looking at uh, what is the product strategy? How are, how are they executing it? And how are they translating that down to uh, down to the teams? Um, so that's the additional context that I wrap on, on top of that. That's awesome. And so when, when you're getting engaged, you, you, it's interesting, you, you reframe the problem 
back to them or play it back to them. Mm -hmm. Um, And so once you sort of oriented on that sort of problem definition, like walk me through kind of, and maybe it's different by, you know, where it goes, but like walk me through sort of your method. Like, you know, first we sort of would do this once we sort of frame the problem, then what happens next and sort of what happens next after that? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So after we kind of reframe the problem and then I try to look at, I try to look at the structure for that they use for making decisions. Um, you know, so typically, you know, if I'm working with some type of uh, digital organization, you know, most of my clients are, you know, have, have some level of digital products or it's a blend of, you know, they have physical products, but they mix it with the digital experience. And so the focus is normally on the, on the digital space. Um, so I look at, you know, I tend to look at what their, uh, what their organizational goals are and how does what they're trying to do align to that. And what I typically find is organizations that have solved the software delivery problem. And by that, I mean, they, you know, they've established a continuous deployment pipeline. They're not in the project, uh, you know, project-based sort of funding mantra, or maybe sometimes they are, but they're still able to, to continuously deliver uh, good quality code, right? You know, they have some type of um, uh, DevOps practices uh, going. So it's not about, you know, can we actually get this out? But then it becomes about why should you be deploying this? Um, And how do you know, even if it works as intended, it meets the right outcome and that outcome is anchored to the organizational goals. So I, I actually, I'd look to, I look to see how they are tracking that success down from the key goals that they're trying to help their business and customers solve uh, to you know, maybe leading indicators that those things are actually happening. And then how does that relate to um, both the work at hand and how the organization is organized around delivering that work? Um, so that, that, that's my approach. And then, and then so from there, what I'll typically do is if there's a mismatch, um, I will, uh, I'll make that visible. And then to leadership, you know, once they can kind of clearly see, you know, many times a lot of the things that, that, that is on the, the, these organizations top of mind are, um, you know, delivery of, of things that there's just, you know, there's an embedded understanding that those things are supposed to meet some level of outcomes, but that's not really explicit. So it, moving them away from, Hey, yeah, we want to deliver X, Y, and Z to, Oh no, we're, we're really trying to help our customers do this by these strategies. Yes. But this is what we really want to achieve. And we think by helping them do X, right, we should see business gains here. Now, how does that track to what we were doing and how does that inform our product strategy along the way? So I'll work with them to set that, set that up. And then, you know, once they, once they set up that, you know, sort of more outcome oriented framework, uh, then comes the fun work of great. Now, how do you want to organize to get it done? We can go from there. And then how does the current map, what current work that you have, how does that map towards, uh, towards that? That's awesome. And, you know, if, you know, in, in, in Mobius, we talked about building, we talk about building the right thing and building the thing, right. Right. And it sort of tracks back mm-hmm. to what you, you can, like you first got to focus on, can you even ship it and those sort of things, but eventually you're going to get back to how do you know you're working on the right sort of thing. And many of my experiences yeah. in, in agile for product owners, 
you know, there, there, there's a title product owner. They're supposed to be responsible for the backlog, but there's not a lot of tools that, that we typically give them to learn how to do that one other than, you know, maintain a prioritized list of work mm-hmm. that can be ready to go. As you introduce, as you introduce outcomes and the importance of anchoring on those, how do the product owners react to that? Do they kind of nod and say, yeah, we, we believe in outcomes and then keep doing the same thing? Or, or is this, or these new ideas as you were introduced as more outcome oriented or these new ideas that takes them a while to sort of really understand? Um, uh, they're typically new ideas. They typically understand immediately what happens afterwards though, completely depends on the organizational context. Um, it, it's, you know, I'm going to say not easy, but it's not rocket scientists to take whatever a product owner is working on and thinks to be responsible and extrapolate that out to the unintended outcome that they hope that to have. And then they go, Oh yeah, I, of course I see how that's important. But then the question becomes, how is their organization incentivized uh, or incentivizing them to perform? And so that's where the, the tricky, that, that's why it really starts with kind of leadership. And this is why I've started the other way around too, um, from the bottom up. And what tends to happen is um, once those individuals, the product owners, even product managers kind of realize what the higher level order outcomes are, unless they have agency to navigate their options, to flex on their options, depending on how those outcomes are being met, um, then there is there is little incentive for them to do so. There's little incentive for them to shift away from, yeah, but I, oh, I still have to get this thing done. And, uh, you know, I've got to sell it as a really big thing because that's how this organization works. You know, I can't just say I'm going to run the small test because, you know, that doesn't you know, that doesn't move anybody. So, you know, I've, I've got to really sell this, this big thing. Right. And, and then, so then that's a different tactic. Then it's not really the fault. The work isn't there on the product owners. And this gets back to the introductory thing I said about, you know, what's my approach. You know, there's a lot of times organizations will bring you, Hey, you're a product focused coach, go coach these product owners. And then when I get to them and that become, that gets revealed, you know, and, and then, you know, they, they want to, they want them to, you know, be sharper product owners, uh, have more accountability, et cetera. But if the organization isn't set up to support them, you know, the coaching work isn't there anymore. It's back upwards. Um, and, and so, you know, a leader has to be willing to hear that and they have to be what ready to act if they actually want to see sort of systemic change take place. And so, you know, if you, if you find that the, the product owners are getting the, 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 the spirit of outcomes, understanding that one, one of the things I've seen in, in, in my experience is once they once it sort of clicks, it makes sense. But then there's a gap between actually, quote unquote, measuring and following up on those outcomes. It, it, it says good that mm-hmm. says that, you know, they'll feel like, OK, we're, here's our outcomes. But then what happens is we focus on stories and test criteria and all that sort of yep. thing. And then there's a lack of willingness to measure that. Yep. I mean, how do you is that been in your experience? And then how do you help companies maybe get over that hurdle? of actually yep. going out and trying to measure um, these outcomes. Yep. Yeah. So I, I usually intentionally try to tie in um, some type of, uh, you know, product performance, you know, ceremony or session or whatever you want to call it to their decision-making process. So at a previous organization I worked at, um, 
where after they kind of define you know what their outcomes were and map the work that they were doing back to that we had no kidding sessions to say okay great this you know we're going to look at we we were tracking the following hypotheses uh, that we're working in and you know this is what we thought would happen right hey if we deploy this and users assuming users like it then uh, we'll see these uh, these related results um, and then so you know they come back and with the product managers and you know with obviously help from their data team they read the results of said test right and then so it becomes it's a very explicit process right and then after each time then we go okay well do we want to go further right we said you know this particular service uh, would help increase customer retention by five or ten percent. Um, and we thought we should see that within the first, uh, the 60 day customer retention. So when we deploy this capability um, to a segment of the population, let's compare this cohort to a cohort to who didn't get it. What was the re- what were the results? And then that's, you know, it's definitive, right? You can tell like, okay, th- this population has the same retention as the one that didn't get it, therefore disproving our hypotheses, what do we want to do? Right. So once that becomes, you know, it just that is that is just an explicit thing as a system demo and safe or PI planning event. Like everybody knows this is going to happen. We're going to come with our stuff. Um, that's how I find you can actually sort of draw real accountability to tying product measures to uh, to performance. Um, and, and then it has the additional benefit of once you get that regularly going, um, the organization tends to understand and tends to be a little less, um, you know, overly dogmatic or controlling about shipping really big things. They can realize like, oh, you know, a lot of these don't pan out and that's okay. So instead of like, wow, we, we were going to build this whole feature out to, you know, the nth degree and we're clearly seeing it's not returning. Okay. What else do we, oh, this thing that we didn't pay much attention to is actually, you know, that that's actually delivering on a lot of business and, and customer results. All right, let's double down on that. Um, so then it, it makes the ideation process a little easier, right? Because there's less, uh, there's less sort of fear about, oh, well, this thing has to be absolutely perfect. It's like, well, no, we, we see what happens when you do months and months of, uh, 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 not in market testing of sort of, you know, paper prototyping or even customer surveys and you don't actually put it to the test of testing behavior doing in market testing so i like it i like it and so you know it i think making it formal and, and explicit it has to be and, and i like your approach it has to be sort of a, a regularly scheduled thing that we know that this time maybe it's every month or so we're going to come look at the the outcomes and our results and tracking to them i'm wondering it's one thing to get the product and leadership people sort of bought into the outcomes. It's another thing mm-hmm. to get the team itself bought into the outcomes. And it's not, not just about implementing stories and marking them done and moving the cards. It's really about what ideas can they bring to the table mm-hmm. that can help achieve outcomes. Have you seen that, that, that graduation from outcomes to the, to the product and then all the way to the team, or is that to the, all the way to the team still a little bit of a, a challenge um, um, with organizations you work with? Um, no, it, it can happen, you know, and it depends on the, the organizational culture. I, I have seen that where, 
once you can more firmly root success to the subsequent outcomes that you're trying to have and, and less to, you know, the delivery of certain tactics, um, then I have seen it freed up the, the, the product manager to being open to ideating with the team fully and saying, look, mm-hmm. hey, here's my idea. But now that the team really knows what success is, right? Success is at conversion rates on a feature. Everybody knows like, well, if nobody's using it, then nobody wants it. That's, you know, that's 2005, 2010 stuff. But like, oh, success is, you know, this is a, this is a cycling fitness app. It's not just who is using it, but it's like, we want to see if uh, these athletes performance times increase like, oh, okay, well, all right, I need this data. And, oh, hey, what about this other, here's something else. Um, and so I, I have seen that take place and it is, it's really fantastic when it happens because it, then the team is really bought in, right? Because it, it's their, you know, th- they're part of the solutioning process, not just, you know, they're not just sort of taking, you know, build orders. Um, um, but yeah, it, 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 it totally depends on the culture. Some cultures are still, you know, f- full separation of, you know, who comes up with the stuff and, you know, who builds the stuff. Uh, so that does happen too. Well, it's amazing. I mean, you've been doing this a, a long time. And one of the things I've always been impressed about, about you is, you know, agile, you know, lean the methods, but you're not so dogmatic in, in sort of the, the methods. You really get it at what are we trying to sort of achieve? And so who have been some of your influences along the way that's really helped shape the way that you think about engaging and helping um, customers? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, on the product side, I would say uh, Teresa Torres um, I think she just came out with a, with a new book. Um, but I've read a lot of her stuff. You know, she's a product coach, I think out of Washington, um, how she approaches looking at outcomes and opportunities I thought was really fascinating. I've even borrowed her outcome opportunity tree thing, you know, as a different mental model to part is it prioritizing a product landscape, right? It, it moves away from the sort of the linear approach that, you know, a lot of agile methods will have, um, She's one, I'd say, uh, totally outside the product space. Uh, Dan Ariely, who's a behavioral economist, um, <laughs> done some really fascinating research. Um, and uh, Malcolm Ladwell, who also kind of dabbles in that space. Uh, that's been, they, they've been some more of the fascinating, folks. if anything, that they have taught me um, that because you know a lot of theory behind behavioral economics is that you know moving away from the Taylorism model where oh yeah markets move completely logically it's like well they actually don't it's a, it's a mixture of irrational decisions and rational behavior it's a mixture of things that happen well outside of what we consider economics um, and so determining how people decision is a lot different than we thought and you know one of the big takeaways from there is you you really have to observe affected behavior you know to to really determine uh success because there there are many non-intuitive things that you would not think uh going into it uh is the case uh that become the case so so i I pull so many stories from there and and they just tend to bleed into my product coaching practices because then i'll i'll hear about like hey i remember that that one study that dan Ariely did on choice decisioning and how when you give people too many options, it actually overloads them. Um, and so in, in, a, in, a, in a sampling context where you're just, they're just trying to sample and not commit to buy, you know, irrationally, you know, having a lot of options helps, uh, 
but when it comes to purchasing, it doesn't. Um, so in, in different in experiments that they've run where they, you know, sampled, I forget what it was, jellies, you know, a smaller sampling group of seven options led to more purchasing. Um, so that, you know, th those type of things bleed into the product coaching. You know, when I hear teams like, hey, well, we got to give the users choices. Let's give them these like 40 or 50 things they can do. I'm like, huh, yeah. I don't think that's going to work. There's been some research on that. Why don't we go with a smaller set? So I, I really, the behavioral economics thing is, is probably the, um, the biggest, um, uh, biggest fascinating thing that I've kicked that I've been on for, for a bit. That's pretty awesome. Like, yeah, I always show the example of the, your remote control, <laughs> right? And it's yeah. like, do you want more buttons? Is, is that, you're right. A lot of folks, especially new, new folks just think, think, think keep thinking that more features is more value, right? And that yeah, there's this yeah. sort of implicit bias to that. And in fact, it's not the case. More, more options, case. more features is typically worse off. And a lot of times it tells me that you don't know your users or customers well enough that you can mm -hmm. make um, good decisions on what they need. So you should go back and observe and study and, yeah. and figure out their needs so that you can come back with fewer options versus just say, I don't know, here's a lot of things. Yeah, pick yeah. and choose what you want. Pick and choose what you want. Exactly. Well, what are some of the lessons of you? You know, you've been in this in the trenches um, for the last ten to fifteen years doing this coaching stuff. What are the, some of the key lessons that you've learned, and how might folks um, who are on their own product journey in their own organizations? Mm -hmm. What are some, maybe some things they could take away in, for their teams? Yeah, yeah. So um, I'll start with maybe the more like tactical. Um, ready to consume use, uh, uh, advice. So when it comes to, you know, one of the biggest lessons that, uh, I think the befuddle many product teams is, you know, how many, uh, how many people do I, do I sample or test something out? Like if, if they don't have really good kind of AB testing chops in play, you know, they, they may, a lot of organizations sort of oversample, um, if they're even sampling at all, right? If they're not just like, hey, we're we're gonna this is our new thing, we're gonna try it out, and then you know, if it doesn't break, then great, we'll we'll deploy it. Um, but oversampling is actually uh, you know an interesting um, an interesting observation. And so, while I'm definitely no statistician, there are tools out there like AB Optimizely and My Tasty that actually will help you. It will sort of tell you for what confidence. Uh, interval that you have, um, you know, to what variants you're looking for about how many people, you know, should see this experiment, you know, and, and that can be as few as like a few thousand, right. Or maybe, it, you know, maybe it might be a couple hundred thousand if you have a few million users. Um, and that's really powerful because, you know, by sampling, by by exposing the whatever you 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 think is going to to, to generate a, a win to the smallest audience possible, you are reducing risk, right? You're reducing risk to yourself, and you're reducing risk to your company to your to their brand reputation, right? Should something go horribly wrong, or maybe this was this was a really bad thing, this really didn't work out, right? It's a lot better to have maybe only exposed that to 3000 users than it is to 3 million or 4 million or 5 million. Um, so that tends to be a, you know, that tends to be a, a pretty easy lesson. Um, and then, you know, really sort of understanding um, what type of test to run for what you're looking to gain, 
right? So being really good about knowing, hey, is this a attitudinal test, right? For something that we could do, we could do a user group for, or we could do, you know, we could do a paper prototype or whatever and, and get feedback from our users where we're just trying to see how do they receive this, right? Um, or is this is this purely a behavioral test, right? Meaning like, okay, yeah, people said they want this thing. Um, you know, it, it, you know, it doesn't peeve anybody off. So, you know, we, it doesn't going to cause any harm to our brand image, but do they really want it? Right. And, and there's so many stories on that. There's a defunct shoe company out of Australia called, um, uh, the name slips me, but it was like a customized shoe startup and they had built this whole performance and they had done all these user surveys and, um, um, sample focus groups to see if people really wanted to customize their shoes, right? Like go in and completely customize their shoes. And all the, you know, all the survey feedback was phenomenal. It was great. Absolutely. Yeah. Wow. That would be awesome. I'd love to like bedazzle and wazzle and, and, <laughs> and do all sorts of things to this, you know, and then they released it and then they spent months and months of time trying to market it, getting people to use it. Because when it really came down to it, nobody had the time, nor did they actually really want to customize their shoes, right? So n knowing, hey, sounds like we've got enough kind of survey tests. Now we need to actually get some in-market tests, right? So that's a different type of test. And then we have to look to, okay, well, then what success look like once we put it out and how we're going to measure it? Um, so th those are some, you know, those are some, some tips. Uh, other things that I tend to encourage, you know, no matter what is, you know, and this is old, you know, I'm not creating this, but get out of the building, do actual customer observation, uh, if, especially if this is for a product that's already out there and you already have customers and you're just making additions on it. Go and observe their usage and see how they're using it. And I guarantee it will inform whatever you're doing. I've never once convinced the team to do that. And afterwards, they come back and go, that was exactly what I thought it would be. That was everything that we had we had thought of. That was just a waste of time. Um, never once. And I, I don't even, I'm not even exaggerating on that one. Um, there have always been, sometimes the lessons have been like medium, like, oh, we'll put that into the next sprint. Other times I've saved the team from launching an MVP, uh, from converting a legacy application. And they were, they had completely left off a feature that they thought was a nice to have. And it turned out to be completely integral to the, the customers and how they went about and did their job. And it, but it was one of those things, even though they had interviewed them a, a bunch of times, they never saw them use the feature. It was one of those things that were so tacit to the users, they didn't think to bring it up, you know. So in conversation, it never came up. But when they were observing, they were like, oh, you know that thing that we were not even going to put in there? That's how they even start their whole process. Wow. Um, so that that's usually a that's a must. Like you, you do you do that, you know, everything else you can you can you can finagle but you're you're going to be on the right track if you if you can do that that's great advice i mean i think that in my experience yeah we, we historically as an industry you know we we went from big requirements documents to to user stories um which have been improvements but a lot of times there are still barriers to sort of between the people who are designing and building the system the people that are using the system and absolutely i think i i echoed or or your, your sentiment about just connecting the people with the people. And we do a lot of that observation, just watching people use a system. And it's not just the, the, the obvious things, 
some of the things that we pick up on are like, when do people struggle to make a choice on where to click? When do they sort of look down? Like, when do they get, you know, basically yeah, stumble is the best way I can describe it because they won't mention it. And sometimes it's just, it's been working like that forever and they just have not even yep. thought about it being any other way. And then it'll be like, Hey, I noticed that last screen. You're like, you hovered over this one and then you weren't certain. And then you had to go to this thing and then come back. Like, well, why did you do that? You know? Yeah. And so, and then that often is some really rich conversation because it'll get into what they're trying to do in the system sort of holding in the back. And sometimes there's changes to fix those things can be, um, big, but sometimes it's not. Sometimes the, you know, fixing these things aren't a lot of technical effort. Mm-hmm. And it can really delight the user and yeah. and and make the team feel like they did something that, that had a connection with yeah, the absolutely. user. And, and all that's fostered that by the sort of that just observation and, and getting out of your office. And so, yep. yeah, it's awesome. Absolutely. Well, let me ask you. Um, what are some of the topics you mentioned? The behavioral economics. What are the, some of the topics that are kind of top of mind? for you these days, um, if you've been thinking about where the coaching is sort of going now, lean product, and then kind of where is it going in the future? What are some of those things you're kind of staying up on? Uh, yeah, I, I, you know, of course, I, I really try to look and see what some of my, like on the product side, what, what product peers are doing and how they're thinking about, um, you know, making cool, awesome, uh, awesome things. You know, I've already mentioned the uh, behavioral economics, so decision making. Um, you know, right now I, I'm I'm sort of I'm really eager to see the agile community more further better embrace the um, the product side. Um, you know, one a good friend and coach once told me it was a great line. He said, "You know, agile has a great heart." or soul, you know, if you, you know, if you believe in that, um, but it lacks a brain, Hmm. right. It, 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 it doesn't, you know, and and the more I could have been exposed to the product side, I realized like, Oh yeah, this is the structure that really tells you like what you should be building. Right. And how you should be building it. Um, so, you know, there's, there's, I think a big gap in the agile side. I, I did a talk not too long ago called, um, uh, uh, coaching impactful product over working software. And the you know, one example and, and thing that I, uh, you know, that's sort of top in my mind that many agile coaches that even coach on the program and portfolio side, don't take the time to learn their customers, business metrics, um, or just general business metrics in that particular industry. Right. And business metrics are not cycle time and, 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 uh, you know, story points per iteration or burn down. Those are not business metrics. I'm talking about um, customer lifetime value, you know, the average churn rate, customer retention, um, you know, know, monthly revenue, uh, average monthly revenue, like those type of thing, right. That's for, you know, software as a service uh, companies. Um, But for every industry it's going to be different, right. If you're in a healthcare industry, I'm sure there are definite, there are definitive sort of, customer outcomes, right. Separate from separate from software, um, that, you know, at some point when you, when you layer down, we'll start to bleed into, well, how do you tie, you know, digital product, uh, KPIs to actual life outcomes or actual, you know, life customer outcomes. And so you need to know what those, what those outcomes and what those KPIs and those metrics are, if that's, you know, if that's the industry that you're in. So I, I see that as a, as a really big miss. Um, 
And if we knew that, I think we could talk a lot smarter about, well, hey, how, we, how should we be prioritizing, right? And you're like, hey, I think this is going to really you know, drive down insurance rates for blah, blah, blah. And it's like, oh, that's great. But that totally has nothing to do with any of the business metrics that we're a part of, right? Like we are, uh, you know, we're a, you know, an active or we're a, we're a, uh, a you know, physical activity um, a site, right? And so that, that has nothing to do with our business model. So I, I really think there, it behooves, you know, agile coaches, especially ones that, you know, if not engineering coaches, um, I think that's a different breed, but if you are a program or an organizational coach, then you really need to know these things. Um, it is interesting because a lot of times we do get in the agile community, you know, get fixated on velocity, if you will, or we get fixated on the practices and, 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 and all doing the right things. And, yeah. and sometimes you're right. We lose sight of what we're trying to achieve. Um, it get, it, yeah. It's all wrapped into the look at my automated builds or, you know, yeah. the fact that we, we ship the production all the time, which is, again, good things. Um, but no, I think that it's, it's interesting to see as the Agile community has evolved, how it's, it's I think, getting back to the right sort of direction. And, and it's a more of inclusive sort of, you know, umbrella versus I'm just scrum or I'm like, you know, just XP, the whole wars, you know, the Agile wars yep, yep. within a period of time where it was like, I don't do scrum. I do Kanban or I don't do Kanban. Yeah. I do scrum and fierce arguments. I think that now what, what, what I see more of is that, okay, we have some sort of agile ish method, Kanban scrum to get things done. Now what's our methods and think about how do we work on the right things? And that's, that's a lot of the space yeah. that you play, which is, yeah. you know, focusing on that. And I, and I think that you're right. We get, we tend to walk in with metrics around, you know, story points and, and, and all these sort of things, which, okay to the team yeah but we we sometimes lose sight of you know when we come in as agile sort of people if, if you will we lose sight yeah. of that this is a healthcare company and this is what they're trying yeah. to do so let's anchor yeah. ourselves back to things that matter to them absolutely and, and you know of course I'm, i know i'm biased here but i think that actually has to happen first you know before you even think about what framework you're going to run or you know um how long your iterations are going to be if, if you're even doing an iteration-based framework. Um, I, I really do think that needs to be first and forefront um, is, hey, how, how are we thinking about our product strategy and how, like, what's the backbone to how we're measuring success, right? Because you, you may go through that, you know, you go through this whole sort of, you know, outcome-oriented exercise tied to product goals and strategies. And then you realize like, oh, well, you know, it gives you a new way to sort of organize. Like, oh, instead of we were going to, we were organizing around a feature or a, a, a set of services, but really we're organizing around, we want to organize around this particular customer job, you know, solving this customer job, which, which may include, you know, you know, work to work on um, this platform capability or that, but now it, it unbounds us a little bit. Now we, 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 maybe we can consider, something totally unorthodox and we can only do that because now we know the, the thing that we're really trying to, that we're really passionate about solving is this particular customer job. I keep going back to the active one. Like it could be like, Hey, we want to help first time marathon runners complete their marathon. That might be one big customer job under, you know, if you were supporting something like uh, Strava or whoop or something um, and you say, okay, well, great. Like before I was just, I was just doing this little marathon, marathon activity tracker, but now it's like, well, what are the other things that can like 
What are other pathways into that and organize a team around that and then go figure out, okay, great. This is, this is what we're passionate about solving. How are we going to work? Right. And what way are we going to work? And then you can layer in the, the, the sort of agile ways of working um, into that. So yeah, I always do that first. No, I like that approach. And plus, to your point, it makes it more concrete. I, I can visualize somebody who's trying to, or, you know, complete their first marathon. I can go find yeah. people. I can interview people. I can, it's, 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 it's a much more engaging way of, of yeah. going about it. So, so maybe um, the last question we always end is what are you listening to these days? So Jason, what do you, what do you got? Uh, um, you listening to these days going on the buzz. So I'm a, I'm a really big hip hop fan. And right. so I've been listening to, um, a lot of my, my favorite MC, uh, he passed away last year. MF Doom, he's like the he's the he's the uh, he's the hip hop MC's hip hop MC. Uh-huh. Um, so him, Tyler the Creator, uh, Freddie Gibbs, it's some like alt jazz rap that type of thing. Um, but that that's that's kind of what I have on my on my tunes. Awesome man, we're gonna get some of these uh, these details from you. We'll share them out when we put this out there. I'm always looking for a new. Uh, New, new people listening to on Spotify, so I'll pick up those yep. couple artists too. So well, awesome. awesome. Well, Jason, I tell you what, I'm so glad we finally got a chance to connect and um, thanks for coming on the program and um, yeah, have a great week. Likewise. Thanks for having me, Ryan.